Hello, everyone. Welcome to Popcast on the Rocks, episode 155. We're a podcast that talks about pop culture things that interest us, and sometimes there is whiskey. My name is John, and I'm joined as always by Andrea. How's it going? Good, good. Happy post holiday, between holiday. Yeah. I don't know which one you want to go with, but you survived one, another one's coming up. So that's right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, good to see you. And uh, we have a new face here uh, that's be um, unrecognizable to our audience. Lance, welcome. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. Got all uh, Lance. If uh, for those that are watching, can see they got all spiffy tonight. I did because we are going to be talking about another James Bond book slash movie. Doing the the final film that has the big anniversary for the year. It was a big anniversary year. We had three, um, three of them to do. So we are managing to just get in here under the wire and cover from Russia with love. So. Um, that's the main topic tonight that we'll be discussing in spoilerific detail later on. Before that, we'll have a few news stories. See what we've been doing on our uh, holiday time here. Um, but before all that, um, drinks, Andrea. Yes. Well, <laughs> it's been, I realized looking back, quite a while uh, since we've had an episode of the pod. Um, so I'm basically covering the entire month of December, so we should have <laughs> quite the, quite the range of things to choose well, from, which we do. Right. I should, I mean, so for anyone that's a little confused, we had been doing Monday shows and then we kind of got pushed back like to the end of the week and then mm-hmm. with an anime show, it just a little jumbled. So apologize and the for holidays. that. But, right. How dare we not stream on Christmas day? <laughs> yeah. But, Where's our dedication, um, John? We do. Well, here's our dedication. Um, we have <laughs> we're now live simultaneously on three separate platforms. That's right. So that's the big thing. Alan here, tech producer, managed to get us like everything. Technical director, excuse me, was able to get everything going so we can have uh, ourselves live on YouTube, X, and the usual Twitch. So um, pick your poison. Um, uh, speaking of which what uh, what poison should we be drinking andrea oh my goodness you could really take your pick of anything especially with this first holiday december 5th it is a usa specific holiday it is repeal day basically repealing the prohibition on alcohol so go crazy pick anything you want pick your favorite pick your least favorite pick you know bathtub gin pick a beer whatever you'd like Whatever's in celebrate. Reach. Yep. Celebrate the fact that you can drink alcohol because I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, moving on from any alcohol to possibly no alcohol or very specific alcohol. Uh, December 13th is hot cocoa day. I don't know. Do you have like a favorite spiked hot cocoa? I always did like mint schnapps because I'm a peppermint mm. kind of girl. But, you know, people do vodka, people do, like, rum, brandy, that kind of thing. Lance, anything? Um, you know, I would uh, do some brandy in the eggnog, you know, but... Uh... Okay. <laughs> we'll get to eggnog. <laughs> right. Oh, God. Because, because we must. Oh, it's, still, it's still my, like, one of my least favorite things ever. Oh, I can't, I just can't get into it. 
Um, but something you can get into, especially if you had any brunch celebrations over the holidays, uh, December 14th was Screwdriver Day. So, classic. Yep. Uh, mm -hmm. It was followed up shortly thereafter on December 20th with Sangria Day, which seems horrifically wrong to celebrate in December. I don't know of anybody who's like... <clears throat> really hankering for that sangria. I mean, I know they make holiday versions and things now, but I don't know. It's just scream summertime to me. Kind of the screwdriver and sangria, really. I think the Both? Uh, feel summer. Yeah. yeah. Just longing for summer days, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just dreaming in our in our non dead of winter that we have because no snow. Um but yeah, so Sangria Day on the twentieth on the 21st, we're starting to get a little bit kind of into different territory. Uh, it's Coquito Day. And then followed on the 24th, December, uh, Christmas Eve, Eggnog Day. My least favorite day. I've still not had an eggnog that I deem worthy enough. Um, well, have you tried the um, one of the homemade recipes I sent you? I did. I did. So I tried the chai one, but I didn't like get the specialized liqueur that they'd had. I just like had chai liqueur. I don't know. It was not my cup of tea, so not really sure. Um, not really sure still about eggnog, but I haven't tried one of the classic okay. ones that you sent me. So. Okay. All right. All right. But that's our last official actual. Oh, sorry. No, there's still hope for you yet, then. Yeah, there's still, still hope for me yet. Sounds like it. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's our last official, like, alcohol-specific kind of day. And then the 25th, of course, is Christmas Day. So cheers to Christmas. If you have anything special, you drink on that day. Yeah. Well, um, what, are you, what are you cheersing us with tonight? I am cheersing you with nothing from our wide selection of drink holidays, but something from what we are about to talk about tonight. Classic. Okay. Simple, elegant, double vodka martini. Okay. Because that's what appears in the books. I'm just saying from Russia with love is very vodka focus. It's straight vodka. It's vodka tonic. It's a double vodka martini. Only vodka, apparently, in this book for James. So, cheers. <laughs> All right. Um, Lance, how about you? Um, bring any certain beverage to drink? Um, I did. I got uh, a nice little Christmas gift, and it's a uh, 15-year uh, Glen Fittich. So I've just got a little scotch neat here that I'm sipping on nice and cordially. <laughs> So cheers. Nice. Cool. So are you like uh, no drops of water, just no ice, just. Um, I wanted to just get a taste of this first uh, without anything added to it. So sure. Um, yeah. Just having this is my third glass so far out of it. So <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm not tonight, I like, tonight. since I, I got like, it on Christmas. So, <laughs> so yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm enjoying it so far though. So good. We'll see. We'll right. see if I want to make something else out of it, or if I just keep going this route. Gotcha. Yeah, perfect. 
Yeah, I, I wanted to follow along with the holidays, you know, make it work with both our topic of bond and uh, drink holidays, but didn't really, wasn't able to really make that work. So um, I went back to what we did on last bond podcast was bourbon and branch. So um, right. the difference is this time, it's still not as good as it should be, but this time I have the actual branch water. So ordered from Amazon branch water. So, um, and nice. I have a different, different bourbon in it this time, this time it's the angels envy. Um, and then I just, because I have an opal bottle of it, I've never drink it fast enough. I added a half ounce of limoncello too. So mm. nice. How is that tasting for you? It's great. It's very mm -hmm. refreshing. Yeah. Be the perfect drink to get me all the way through the podcast so <laughs> without getting too nuts we're a little uh, i was drinking um soju on our mario kart stream it was maybe a mistake maybe oh boy mistake. how did your driving <laughs> end up as a result really horrible very horrible <laughs> uh mike was on there and said uh you have fallen off something fierce here so uh <laughs> so next time just water, I guess. I don't know. I gotta get to uh, all the races uh, that I care about all the way up front. So no, no burial cart for you. Oh, on stream? Mm. No, I don't think <laughs> so. I don't. I don't. I'm not. I'm not pro like that yet. So, all right. Well, cheers, everybody. Um, let's. Uh, cheers. Cheers. Let's get into it. So, as we mentioned before, a bit longer of a gap here. So I've had a few. You know, I've had the chance to watch uh, plenty of things probably, but Andrea, why don't you fill us in on uh, how your last probably three weeks have been? Yes, yes. Um, I will present my my meager offering of things that I've consumed for John. You're the main course <laughs> here, clearly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I uh, I've been finishing up a few things, kind of moving forward on some things and then starting some new things. So... As far as finishing up, I have finished this season's Great British Baking Show, which I'm so excited about because it just warms my heart. It's the perfect show for a little like pre-holiday, you know, belief in humanity and the goodness of people um, and the adorableness of people who go on baking shows and try to look professional and make strange and wonderful things out of delicious treats. Um, so, yeah, so I watched Great British Baking Show. I loved the the person, spoilers, who won. <laughs> I almost said the gender and I was like, oh no, I don't know if anybody else has not finished it. So the person who won, I love them. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And then I started the Great British Baking Show holidays version, which okay. I have to say I have one note for the producers of that. They now do like holidays where they take like the cast of some show, either like in the theater or like a new movie or a TV show that's coming out and they put them on there and have them do, you know, like the baking show. That's fun, but I kind of like the old version where they brought back like bakers who hadn't won and had them in the tent. And I was like, Let's do that again. Like, let's see those people. So show notes, Paul Hollywood, if you are listening, <laughs> yeah. 
you beautiful silver fox. Uh, <laughs> just a little butter up before I present the idea to yeah, <laughs> bring back, you know, the people who didn't win because I miss seeing their faces and miss like sure. the camaraderie. So just a little show notes there. Sure. Um, on other things that I've been watching, I guess sticking with kind of like a British esque uh, theme here, I've watched the second and third episode of 007 Road to a Million. And okay. I'm, a, I'm a little more into it, but I'm still feeling iffy. And I feel like it's because we've gotten past the intro, Brian Cox as the controller, the voice, the narrator, yep. however people call him. He needs more to do because he just really sure. would be a great Bond villain. And I just, I need to feel his like energy. I need to feel him you know, putting out his little tentacles and messing with people. So, yeah, that's just, that's my only note there. I like the premise of the show and I like how it's moving forward. But Brian Cox needs to really get in there and just start being a villain. So that's um, my, that's my yeah, note there. He really is like, uh, isn't he in, uh, he's in another show now too. It was Succession. It was a he in that? Succession. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I'm glad he's getting some some roles here. I was first introduced yeah. to him in Troy, um, the movie Troy. Really? Yeah, I think he was like Agamem Agamemnon. Yeah, he's king. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was first introduced to Brian Cox in Super Troopers, which is oh, okay. just yeah, 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 a masterpiece yep. of cinema. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he is, yeah, he is absolutely one of my favorite parts of that. Um, speaking of, with the uh, next person who says shenanigans, Corey Barton is in our YouTube chat, so uh, hey, appreciate him being here. And um, so didn't know there was a 007 show. Yes, the Road to a Million is a reality 007 show. So yes. it's uh, have these pairs of people compete to win million pounds and um it was it was one of those things like the bond community to my understanding was you know 007 day was coming up people were excited maybe they're gonna announce something a director a new star or something and instead um we <laughs> get a reality tv show but uh but it's here and it's well produced and uh yeah i think i'm the same yeah i've watched through episode three as well so okay have you, have, had you heard about this show, Lance, at all? Have you? I uh, have. I have not gotten myself to watch it yet. So, you know, maybe now hearing you guys talk, I'll have to give it a shot. Because when I saw it first, I was like, "What? What do we got here?" And then I was like, "Oh, that's that sounds interesting." Yeah. People trying to do a you know do a fresh take on on something. So. Yeah, it's it, it's an interesting cross of like several already existing game shows, like The Amazing Race, plus mm -hmm. like who wants to be a millionaire kind of, you know, I don't know. Yeah, Plus like you do better. like crazy stunts. Yeah. I mean the, mm -hmm. the production value and obviously cinematography landscape is gorgeous. See, but that always, the thing is it always makes me, you know, I appreciate something like, you know, I don't watch much reality TV, but I have watched like naked and afraid before. And, and that you can tell there's not too many people around. 
you know, mm -hmm. it's sort of like you and your little camera or whatever, or even, mm -hmm. uh, you know, ghost show I've watched or whatever. But when you're doing something that's this well produced, it's a camera crew. <laughs> like It's got to be people with them and like bouncing lights and everything all over. Mm -hmm. So it'd be a weird thing that you're, you know, out on this adventure, you're in the middle of the Amazon or whatever, but you're still being followed by like six people or something. I don't know. It when you start thinking about how things are set up, oh, there was a camera there already for them, or oh, they're climbing this this mountain, but mm -hmm. they're they have a harness on, and so there's mm -hmm. you know, it's so clearly someone was there, helped them properly get the harness on. The sure. rope was already set up, like all this stuff that, that you're just not showing right. that right. is fine. It needs to be there, you know, or people will die. But um right. Yeah, I was I was thinking of like the, the woman climbing the crane in episode two. Like, yeah, she's she, like, there's clearly like lines there for her to clip into, which there should be because, yeah, right. Like she yes. would totally die. <laughs> there's no way you could do that. Just mm. solo free climbing a crane. Uh, the, I mean, it's the just a good chance that you room. slip and just, yeah, right. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to make the show. Right. But so. yeah. It's interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, cool. Yeah. So I'm, I'm continuing that I'm persuaded to continue and see kind of how it goes. Um, but I, I really would like Brian Cox to do more. That would be my, my note sure. for that. Um, things I'm also continuing on blue eye samurai. I've watched uh, episodes five and six really enjoyed those. Although, Oh God, I I'm like so, so ashamed to admit it. Um, episode six starts out with one of my favorite songs of all time for whom the bell tolls by Metallica. Mm. And I love that song so much, but the, but the placement in the show is so wrong. It's, mm. it's, it's so jarring and like out of context and oh God, I hated it so much. Is it a different I, version of it though? Nope. Like it's nope. A, oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. Nope. I thought it would be like some sort of, you know adaptation or you know like a take on it or like a kind of stylized version nope it's just like straight up metallica and uh yeah it hurts my metallica loving heart to say it but yeah it's so wrong here see because it can be done right like battlestar galactica has all along the watchtower and that's a totally different sort of version right. they add some like middle eastern flair to it right and then obviously Westworld is known for yes. these like old westy piano renditions of you know famous yep. pop and rock songs so and yeah. even blue eye samurai has done that before but yeah mm. here they just straight up sampled and wrong choice you guys mm. especially okay. it was especially jarring to come from an episode where um they'd done like a stylized kabuki theater type of piece to tell like what was going on in the show and like to to do a sort of you know I don't know, uh, just like kind of a version, a mini version of what was happening in like a parallel universe. But mm -hmm. yeah, it was just, it was very jarring to come from that into Metallica. So. Yep. Can understand. Oh, Corey, if you're in chat yet, let us know if you've watched Blue-Eyed Samurai. I've been seeing this make a lot of people. Our friend Phil has been. Loves it. Even, you know, like he's just been like on and on about Friend the show, gospel. So. Yeah, right. Uh, and it's making a lot of people's top shows of the year. 
like in their it's top five. Very good. Winners, so. It's very good. I really am enjoying it. Um, but that was just my small like, and it and it hit so close to home because I love Metallica so much. But yeah, wrong place. Lance, have you watched this at all or heard of it? Does Phil spread the uh, word? Uh, yeah, yeah Phil, Phil, it's one of one of many that Phil has mentioned. Yeah, so we'll <laughs> see. I've got a I've got a light January. Maybe I can put that on the on the short list as well. Definitely do okay. it. It's a really good show. Sure. Nice. Um, another show that I've watched that's probably very specific to my taste is The Gilded Age on Max. Uh, season two dropped and I binged all of it. It's amazing. Uh, creator Julian Fellows, same guy who did uh, Downton Abbey. And uh, mm. yeah, this is just like his American version of that. But it's very fun. It's like Roaring Twenties, um, new money coming in, new society in New York. And sure. uh, yeah, I just I just plowed through season two and it's excellent. So cool. Um, and then for the holiday season, I watched some classics that are mostly Chris's family traditions. I watched uh, a Christmas story yet again. Um, yeah, Sorry. little Ralphie, little little Ralphie's <laughs> still trying to get that Red Rider BB gun. Um, uh, yeah. It's, oh God, it's just so like, it's so near and far. Like it hits so close to home because it's so Midwestern and yet also mm. I hate it so much. Okay. Um, yeah. And then we watch something that I do love, A Muppet Christmas Carol. Okay. Yeah. Which I think is still one of the better takes on A Christmas Carol. Yeah. Well, you had a good, um, you know, good lineup here, I'd say. Good variety. Good range. Um, hit hit the holiday points. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Lance, how about you? You get do anything? Um, watch anything very holiday? Is there something you have to see uh, every year? Yeah, uh, it, it it was more of a tradition when I was a kid. So, um, thought uh, my own kids were old enough this year to give them a little taste of uh, Home Alone, which I hadn't watched in several years, yes. and uh, that was uh. That was just, that was still a treat. That was uh, <laughs> a lot of a lot of laugh out loud moments still after all these years. So that was a uh, that was good. And uh, have you have you ever read the article by like some ER doctor who analyzes the entire film and like how severe all the injuries would be? I I can only imagine. Oh, oh God, I'm gonna send it to you. It is hilarious. Great. It's like two injuries in, and he's like, they're already dead. Right. <laughs> It's, yeah, we had to uh, assure my youngest that uh, you know this is just a movie. It's we don't fake. we're not we don't like go and yeah. tr- like try and do these things, right? Like, don't uh, get any <laughs> ideas in your head. <laughs> yeah, but that's yeah, probably the physical advice, comedy yeah. was really hitting with them. So that was uh, yeah, yeah that sure. Was... <laughs> it it yeah, it absolutely still holds up. I love the first one. I love the second one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's yeah, I saw recently because we were talking to pre-show about like cell phones or whatever and giving kids cell phones. And someone was saying how today this just wouldn't happen because it'd be a text, text your mom like, hey, where are you? And then it's that's that's it. Or I'm home, you know, it just there's none of this lost trying to get a hold of them, get a little landline phone and it's not responding. Right. And just Well, and I've read something, too, that was, you know, um, people, you know, Gen Z, what, whatnot, um, watching it for the first time would, when they're 
wake up late because you know their their alarm clock doesn't go off and they're like you know we got to get to the airport in 45 minutes we're never going to get on this plane and they're like 45 minutes and you haven't even left your house you don't have a prayer right well yeah. of course the days <laughs> yes. before tsa check and everything yeah you could just That's run right. right to your gate and <laughs> with, with time to spare in a situation like that but yeah to, you know today that would yeah you wouldn't even bother trying to even get to the airport if you're right sleeping in 45 minutes and you hadn't even gotten out of bed yet, so. Well, reschedule and call in the airport. Yep. Uh, new flight. That, yep. no, that's absolutely <laughs> correct. So. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. Um, just I don't know. I if I was making a lot of kinds of movies, I would want to set it earlier because there's so many things that are more can be more fun when you don't have cell phones or, um, you know, when, sometimes when things are simpler especially horror movies, horror movies are tough. You know, when you could just call for help anywhere, you mm -hmm. gotta always try to come up with a thing. Like really everyone's cell phone's dead. Really? There's absolutely no reception yeah. on anyone's phone for, right. you know, all those things. Mm -hmm. But then can kid, will kids relate? You know, at what points do we get where a younger audience is watching it and just, this is silly because I would do this. Oh, well that didn't exist then. Well, why do right. I, you know, right. Well, I don't really care then because that's, yeah. that's not how it is right now. Yeah, you never know. So, yep. mm -hmm. but okay, there, yeah. Andrew. We'll, 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 we'll see if we'll see if that uh, if they ask for it again next year, if that was a one and done. But either way, it was it, it seemed to be a hit this year. So <laughs> see if it will let me share. Yeah, I can share a link in our own our own chats. So for people that want to look at it, put it in the it's Twitch excellent. And YouTube chat. It just it cracks me up every time they go through like every single thing. It's just like, oh, like here Marv's dead. Oh, here he would have third degree burns. Oh, part of his yep. face is like melted off. Like, yep. oh, it's just yep. excellent. Um. Okay. What else? What else, Lance? Uh, let's see. Recently, um, I kind of been in conjunction with the release of the new uh, 2023 Frasier had been watching the old series and trying to okay. you know do like a, watch a season nice. season one, but as as the first two episodes dropped and then you know just kind of go on. So then I've recently finished you know the original series. The I was about halfway through season ten when the finale dropped there about three weeks ago. So. Got around with all the holiday hustle and bustle of getting watching the the last rewatching the last season of that. So, so I was always enjoy I always enjoyed the original good? show. So, um, was the new show good? New um, it's it was it was certainly improving. I think in in my in my opinion, um, you know, only ten episodes. That was right. something that I you know remark with other people. You know, the original run. You know the network sitcoms of of that era. You know, twenty two, twenty five episodes right. a season was what were common. Yeah. So ten is you're not you're just not given a lot of time for character exposition besides Fraser, who everyone already knows, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. So that was even evident going through the first season. You know, the first season of original Fraser was, you know, Daphne's character, Roz's character, really were just hardly touched on in the first 10 episodes of you know there was enough yeah. nuggets there you could certainly see there was you know how they were able to cultivate those characters certainly but you would if you would have just watched those first 10 episodes you know unimpressed you know <laughs> just kind of right. oh they're there they're there but what are they really adding so i know that was a big critique of a lot of people with some of the you know the other 
characters on this show. Oh, and it's like, well, again, I just go back to let's see if we can give it more time. Let's let's sure we can get another batch of 10, 15 episodes to what would equal an old, you know, yeah. season. entire season and, you know, go more critically at it at, at that point. So I, it was it was getting certainly a couple of, um, you know, cameos from old characters. Um, I was just going to ask, is from there Frasier anybody from... And, 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 uh, and Cheers, so there's a couple of okay. you know, leg- legacy characters that make their way there. And that feels pretty natural. That's felt pretty natural, I thought. So that was, wasn't was forced on camera. And the chemistry was there between those actors. So um, right. I'm, I'm hopeful with, uh, to get a little bit more. It whetted my appetite. So I'd, be, I'd cool. be interested in watching some more, hopefully. So we'll see if they green light a, a second season for that or not. Yeah, I, I had heard some pretty positive things. Um, the, I, I was rewatching um Frasier actually too when our kids were really young and we were like up all night and some of that we definitely were starting to go through them again i don't know how far we really got but mm-hmm. still a great show yes for sure yep. and at least that it came back and it's not terrible that's that's a that's better than I expected, honestly. That's yeah. I was trying to. I was very much trying to temper my expectations. It's like, all right, we'll, see, you know, hopefully, yeah. You just never know. And uh, mm-hmm. no, I think, I mean, Kelsey Grammer picked up right where he left off. Um, right. So, you know, the writing, writing had some had some good moments. You know, had had some growing pains, but yeah, on on the whole, it it seemed to be improving, and I think the actors were starting to settle into their roles and kind of, you know, how they play yeah. off each other and in, in their scenes. So yeah, we'll, we'll see, see where it goes. Um, anything, uh, anything else that you saw that, uh, recently that's been amazing or terrible? Ah, <sighs> is that kept you pretty occupied? Yeah, not, not that's, I mean, that's most of it other than, um, you know, what we'll be discussing here yeah. uh, soon enough. So, Right. Um, yeah, I, I managed to squeeze in a lot of things. I, I've had a few years where uh, I didn't get enough Christmas stuff in. So I tried to remedy that this year. Um, Christmas things I got in. the um, I almost forgot it. I watched it on Christmas because I almost forgot it existed. It was the Christmas music special um, by Hannah Waddingham, Andrea. Um, not Waddingham <laughs> or whatever I wrote initially, but it's an Apple TV Plus uh, special, and it's the woman that I know, anyways, from uh, Ted Lasso, and yeah. she's a, a good singer, and so she put on this kind of Christmas music special, Home for Christmas, and was it was good. I enjoyed it quite a lot. So um, it, not too much cheese. I'm always looking for like ah, these Christmas specials are going to be too. Corn bally, right. mm-hmm. um, a little Yeah. Mm-hmm. I watched um, It's a Wonderful Knife, um, It's a Wonderful Life, and Bloody Christmas. <laughs> okay. So, um, it's a Wonderful Knife is uh, has Justin Long in it, and it's okay. this sort of weird, you know, taking some ideas from It's a Wonderful Life, I guess. And um, it, I didn't know what to expect going into it. Oh, it also has um, who who was in who always starred in the soup. 
um, what was his name? The comedian always in the suit. Oh, he's in the community that, as well and stuff. Joel yeah, McHale. Um, Joel, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. So he's in it as well. And um, it, it was fine enough, is what I'll say. Um, okay. I was hoping for more. It's very weird what happens at the end. So um, it, is it, it a horror movie then? Yes, yes. Okay, okay. Yes. Yes. I mean, I, I figured I would, with the title like that, but just wanted to mm, check. I would only recommend it if you're able to watch it for free. You really want something that's Christmas related and you've got nothing else. <laughs> like, uh, that would be my recommendation there on that. Um, and then Christmas, Bloody Christmas, that is a newer indie kind of horror movie that I think was actually pretty awesome. It's about the, okay. I, this idea that they're selling these they're retrofitting these for the military robots as Santa Clauses. Like they've been decommissioned or something and they put Santa suits on them and they can, they put a bunch of Christmas lines in them. So now they can like be in stores, people bring them in their homes and they can say Christmas things would be Santa or whatever. But it was used for the military and it goes out of control as one might anticipate. And mm -hmm. um, the movie is like it's kind of a trip like the the lighting and color is really fun in it it's just very atmospheric they're going for that like faux 80s bathed in neon sort of look yeah um the characters are actually relatively believable though the dialogue gets a little like they're trying to go like tarantino almost with the dialogue like very natural non-stop sort of banter what was he started to get a little old, but that was kind mm -hmm. of my only complaint. Otherwise, it was it was gruesome, definitely kind of a slasher. Um, the music was good. Um, you know, they actually had like it felt like an R, you know, they had some nudity in there. Again, the great lighting. Um, I, I have to recommend Christmas Bloody Christmas for okay. kind of a you know, maybe you maybe you have an edible or two you pop before that and you put, you know, it's going to be even better. So um, where can you find Christmas, Christmas Bloody Christmas? It's on Shudder. It's on Shudder. So or if okay. you have like AMC Plus that includes Shudder, you can okay. do it that way. Too, so, okay. yeah, pretty new. Um, recommend that one. Um. It's a Wonderful Life. So the original of It's a Wonderful Knife. Uh, I'd never seen that one. That was our goal. Ashley mm -hmm. and I to actually watch this one, a classic. And I really did like it. I was surprised. Yeah, it's good. You know, for the age, you know, for, 47, the humor was there. Um, so you both mm -hmm. have seen it? Yes. I have. It's been, been some time, but yep, I, I have seen it. Yep. Yeah. So I, I, was, I was pleasantly surprised. I enjoyed mm -hmm. it quite a lot. I'm still a little like, little iffy on the message just in the sense that like i understand the sort of broad idea of you're you're not a failure of a person if you have loved ones basically is like the most gist of it like you how you yeah. interact with people and the relationships you make that's how you you can impact people in a greater way than you could imagine and you change mm -hmm. you know um things around you and some of that. So that that's cool. At the same time, do you owe it to everyone to make your life miserable? I mean, I get the part of it is, is, you know, you're supposed to appreciate what you have, but 
at some point you are responsible for your own lot in life. And, uh, he is going down this path where he's like getting to kind of dark places. And I just, mm-hmm. you know, I start losing sympathy because you've, you have done this to yourself. And so maybe the message is you can still help people. You can still help your community without being, I don't know, like some sort of martyr. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I get, I totally get what you're saying. I think, I think that, you know, part of the point is to just show George, like, Hey, your life didn't turn out the way you expected, but it can still be great. Um, and also I don't think that there's anything barring him from making changes to make himself happier. It's just sort of like, right. Hey, like maybe stop and take stock of where you're at. It's not as miserable as you thought. Doesn't mean like mm-hmm. this path has to be like locked in. This is it. No deviations, no changes, no new branches. It's just, you know, maybe like hold up a second and see like you have done some good. Yeah. Right. I don't know. You, you, you he's the whole movie is holding out. Like on principle, I will not let this mm-hmm. other guy take over the whole town, you know, mm-hmm. and he just is like bankrupting his family for this. It's like you have you do. It's great to help your community, but you do have a responsibility to your family first, like your wife and your children. And they're going to I mean, you're, they're going to shut down your bank because you have no money left. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just I, I, I just I didn't know if I disapproved of some of his things, but he was failing in his primary responsibilities, his primary role um, for the sake of the town. Now, is Mm -hmm. that heroic or is that foolish? I don't know. Right. Depends on if he saw that as his primary responsibility or if he thought his wife, his his primary responsibility was to the Mm -hmm. town. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, but she well, also I married mean, him knowing what it, kind of man he is. Yeah. 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 I get, but you don't know how far someone will go. You don't know how. That's, that's very true. You know, mm-hmm. it's very true. There's, I think there's a lot of like variables at play there, but yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It made me think, anyways, and I enjoyed it. So, mm-hmm. uh, and then I watched uh, Charlie Brown Christmas, uh, some Gremlins, and Merry Little Batman. Merry Little Batman is actually on Amazon Prime. It's an animated mm-hmm. version of Batman. It's a silly for kids fun cartoon thing that I actually recommend quite a bit. I think it would be okay. uh, a good little romp for the family. Um, and we enjoyed that quite a bit. So um, I have more things, but I'm going to skip them because it's going to be a lot. That's my Christmas related <laughs> Christmas related things. So, yeah. Um, of course, did do a lot of Bond stuff, um, reading and watching Bond movies, you know, like on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, I watched that again because I kind of think that's sort of a Christmas Bond film. Yep. Um, My wife and I watch it every year. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yep. I, I kind of like usually my Christmas. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. All right. So let's let's start getting into bond then. And I, before we get into these, these news stories and stuff about it, um, being, you said you watch 
on Her Majesty's Secret Cerberus every year. Um, firstly, what do you what do you think about George Lazenby? And then let's expand that a little bit into just you know where you where you've come into Bond. Um, like, what was your first movie? Um, do you mm. have a favorite actor for Bond? Like, we got we got to know your your history a little bit sure. and uh, kind sure. of. All that yes. on, on James Bond. Yes. Well, let's try to unpack that a little bit. Um, the, the we might as well start at the beginning, right? The introduction. Um, I think the first Bond movie I saw all the way through probably was GoldenEye, um, and that was my introduction. The you know the video game on N sixty four, of course. That was um, growing up at that time, um, and I mean I've. What was it back, like TBS, I think, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, used to always have uh, like a 15 days of 007 thing where they would just play yeah. them 24 hours mm -hmm. for, you know, half mm -hmm. a month straight. And occasionally my dad would have, you know, one on once in a while and be like, oh, they seem kind of interesting. You know, I see some of these, you know, chase sequence things and as a, you know, 10, 11, 12 year old boy, you're like, yeah, this is kind of exciting stuff to see, right? So, <laughs> um, but uh, it, it kind of started then. It was, you know, more video games that came out in like the early 2000s. And um, mm -hmm. then upon realizing, you know, having watched a few of the films, um, the first one I went to in theaters was uh, The World Is Not Enough. Um, mm. So that was the first Bond movie I saw in theaters. Um, Interesting. And um, didn't know it, recognize it at the time that, you know, they were novels first. Um, so then I started trying to find the novels. And at this point, they hadn't come into reprint yet. So they were, mm. you couldn't find them anywhere. <laughs> and then I think Penguin started um, republishing them in like 2002, 2003-ish. Um so they started showing up at the the borders in my hometown at that point, old borders, borders bookstore, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so I started reading, you know, um, just plowed right through those those the Ian Fleming novels, and then proceeded to go out and buy the DVD collection and just, you know, I had seen bits and pieces of probably just about all of them through you know the aforementioned you know cable marathons yeah. you know from years past like tv right but I, there were so yep. few that i had actually sat and watched beginning to end you know uninterrupted and so that was you know towards the end of high school that that uh that i did that and i've just been a bond fan ever since because then it was shortly thereafter that brosnan was let go and the whole mm -hmm. you know craig got announced and the blonde bond and all that stuff and yeah when it was announced that Casino Royale was the, was going to be his first film, I was, you know, got really excited because I had just read the novels at that point. So I was like, oh, if they do this one a little bit more to the source material, it could be a really good film. And it's, it's that Casino Royale is probably one of my favorites. So, yeah. Um, okay. But on to Honor Majesties. Yeah. You know, it takes, takes place uh, around Christmas. So yeah, it's become a, a Christmas movie that my wife and I watch. Um, and Lazenby. Um, I think the first time you see that movie, it's jarring, right? It's, sure. 
Um, and certainly when I, the first time I watched it, you know, watched the first five Connery films, and then you get to Laz and B, and it's like, okay. You know, he's, his voice is overdubbed in a good portion of the film, too, which, upon repeated viewing, I don't even really notice, I feel like. But that first, mm-hmm. that first, uh, that first time through, it's kind of, it, 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 I feel like is a little bit more it tough hits. to get through. It's just like, oh, this is just, okay. It and then hits. all of a sudden, it's his voice. And then it's back to the dub voice, and it's <laughs> it's just a little, you know, okay, which way are we going here? Um, but over the years, it's uh, just the story, the the way it was shot. I recently watched um, like a, a documentary on it. On I've got the 50th anniversary Blu-ray collection, and um, the director he had been the editor on most of the previous films, and went to mm-hmm. Cubby Broccoli, the producer, and was like, I'm, I'm done editing. I want a chance to direct. And so, you know, he got this chance, and it definitely um, was shot differently, you know, than the first five films. He was, it, you know, he was much more quick-cutting and just a lot of this and that. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was definitely not appreciated in its time. It mm-hmm. had low box office numbers, so he got fired. <laughs> it never worked out another Bond film. And um, in the years since, it's become this you know critical darling of, of Bond fans. It's like it wasn't terribly well received in its time, but it's, you know, its mystique has kind of grown, I think. And um, yeah, it's it's very rewatchable for me. I, I enjoy it. The music is always, you know, great. Um, and it's a good so, blow film, yeah. too. Think uh, mm-hmm. Blofeld's pretty good portrayal there. I think it's probably the best in in the early in the early early Bond films. Yeah, between You Only Live Twice and and uh, the following film, Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. in this in in Honor Majesties, it's uh, yeah, the portrayal is 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 much is yeah the the better of the of any of the other actors, mm-hmm. which. It'd have been interesting to see if they'd have gotten a person, an actor, to have portrayed that, you know, continuous instead of always having a different one. But, Mm -hmm. yeah. Andrew, what do you think of Honor Majesty's Secret Service? When have you watched it last? Uh, I watched it last probably, I would say, four-ish years ago. So it's it's been a bit. Um, It's not a Mm -hmm. Christmas tradition for me. Um. But I remember even on my first viewing, you know, I'd always heard a lot of jokes about Lazenby's take on Bond and just like his, you know, brief one movie tenure. So I sort of went into it like really interested to see what his portrayal was like. I really found myself thinking, boy, he he just he got a rough cut. Um and he just got a raw deal because he's he's not my favorite Bond. He's probably not my top three, but he's not as bad as people make him out to be. And the movie definitely isn't as bad as I think right. people initially made it out to be. Um, that being said, I do, I think that it's really hard to place within bond as a character as a franchise because it's so different 
Um, not only is Bond making a lot of different like costume changes kind of thing, like there's a lot more experimenting with his dress, his fashion choices. Um, you know, there's a lot of play with with shirts, collars, kilts. There's, hey, there's just a lot yeah, going on. A lot Some of late of 60s hits. fashion, just, you know, trying a lot of different things in that movie. And, yeah. and, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just hard when you think of Bond in a suit to go to like all of these different costume changes. It's hard to just, you know, get your mindset differently that way. I love it. I love it. I it's and again, it's not a bad thing, but I get why it's hard to go from just this like very iconic and very, you know, sh like short range of dress into all of these different costumes. I get it. I yeah. get that the transition is hard to make. So, yeah. I uh, like Honor you know, Magic's Secret Service. I really think it's interesting. I mean, obviously, like, spoiler alert, the fact that Bond gets married is, like, a crazy thing in the Bond universe. I get also that that would be very, like, holy cow, we're just, like, code switching for this character. But it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. And I think just, you know, sometimes people react to things like change is too hard to get into. And this movie had yeah. a lot of different things, not just one or two different things, a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, you know, pertaining to the costuming hits and misses, I think the kilt is a miss. Yeah. Uh, it leads to a funny scene. <laughs> uh, ruffles, some of the ruffles are a miss. Yep. Um, yep. But I love like the brown, like everything brown sort of thing with a white collar and the, yep. um, like gets in the guy's office and throws a knife at the board. That's a good look. Um, but yeah, yep. his... and that camera comes to focus on the date that he hits right as that. Yeah, hits too. Yeah, yep. it's a good moment. Um, I love his car in this one. Um, so to go on DB, um, it's uh, it's closer to like the V8 saloon yeah. and stuff. So I I like the car. Diana Rig, you know, it's uh, fun to have her in there. I'm used to Game of Thrones or whatever, so it's cool <laughs> to see her in this, I guess. Yeah, she, I, um, she's she's just, she's a great Tracy, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's um, I uh, the the plot, the setup, like marry my daughter, you know, it feels a little bit, uh, I don't know. It's it's an odd story for for Bond, I guess. Um, I felt like I was missing something. Sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, on my rewatch, like, really, is that the the whole like motive and setup here is my daughter needs needs a man. Let it be bond, you know, and obviously get into other things. And but I don't know. So, yeah, I, I it also just it's fun watching it with with Ashley because she's like, he's so ugly. He's so ugly. He's like, he's not good looking. You know, like. He was a, like an Australian model, you know? He's yeah, like, he uh, had no he had no acting experience, which is just crazy. Yeah. Can you imagine? Like, you know, they would never think of today going with uh, oh, oh he's God. just got the he's just got the look, so we're gonna just groom yeah. him to be our next bond. Like, <laughs> like yep. you probably gotta oh, have, yeah, you know, exactly. gotta have like twelve years of stage experience, I'm sure, before they'll even entertain the idea of you coming, you know, being the next Something, bond. Yeah. No. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, he's um he's not the most attractive bond. Oh, 
Okay. Well, speaking of, of the bonds here and attractiveness and all this stuff, Andrea, we know, we know who your favorite bond is. We know who bond is to you. Oh, Yep. Lance, do you have a favorite portrayal? I sounds like I'm in the same camp as Andrea. Um, Sean Connery is, is my favorite as well. Um, Daniel Craig is a close second for me. Okay. Um, but yeah, the, the original is going to be a just, it's just going to be tough to beat. You know, um, I have was reading just not that long ago somewhere that, um, people entertaining the idea of, of remaking, you know, the Bond films now that we've gotten to the point where, you know, Sean Connery has passed, Roger Moore has passed, you know, you could maybe update yeah. some of these movies. There is even some, um, some movies that deviated so far from, you know, the original novel. Maybe you go back to some of those novels and pull, pull some, some nuggets from there and, and flesh out a new story. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of on both sides on that one because, like, I could see the merit to that, yeah. but then I'm also like, "But why would you ever remake a Sean Connery Bond movie all at the same time?" So, I don't, I don't know. I'd, I, I could maybe be convinced of that, but I, I think initially, my, my initial thought was definitely, "Oh God, no! Don't, don't do that! Don't let's keep trying to come up with original new stuff. Let's not try to rehash and and remake things. Let's." I think that's part of what makes his so far made Bond unique, right? Is that sure. they've not gone back to the same well. Right. Well, arguably. I mean, there's been a couple movies that were like that's very similar to <laughs> mm-hmm. to 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 a previous one, but you know. Yeah, Corey's in chat and he says I thought Pierce Brosnan was cool. Seems like his movies were more serious, action packed. Um yeah, he I, is my second with Daniel Craig, like riding a solid, like close, close, close three. Mm-hmm. And it's um, and it's really it's looks. I mean, I also was introduced to Brosnan early on, so mm-hmm. Goldeneye is just. Ugh. Yep, between yeah, the game and and him being you know the first Bond I saw in theaters, Bar- Bar- Brosnan will always you know hold, hold a special, special place. place. Yeah, for sure, he was oh, you know yeah. The, the bond of, of my youth, as it were. So, mm-hmm. and yes, Goldeneye is, yeah, the movie is, is, is awesome. I... Well, okay. So a couple things. One, one, Andrea, do you, are you on board with this idea potentially of uh, remaking older films? It hurts. It hurts. It does. Um, But I mean, we've talked a little bit about this that, you know, Nolan is maybe kind of floating around like I would make some movies very much closer to the source material and set in the era that they're supposed to be set. So it'd be kind of like historical pieces. Um, I, again, it hurts, but potentially. You would have to convince me. You'd have to have like a really great setup or you'd have to be remaking mm-hmm. something like, you know, what we talked about earlier this year, Live and Let Die, which strayed quite far from its source material. I would love a truer adaptation to that book because I don't think the movie strayed 
appropriately. I don't think it's straight in a way that improved storylines. So for hmm. for remaking things like that, yeah, like I am I am on board. Obviously, it also doesn't hurt for me that that's a Roger Moore era film of which I am less attached. Um, so yeah, so if you were suggesting a Connery era movie, I would probably have a harder time, especially with something like From Russia with Love, where I feel like it was very true to the source material, but potentially, potentially. Yeah, I think I think I'm generally against it. I would be I would be okay with the idea of taking um making a film where they did deviate heavily from the book and then not so Moonraker being a perfect example. We talked about that one earlier. Right. How yep. that could just be a completely new movie and don't That's call it Moonraker. Absolutely different. Different name. And mm -hmm. give it, you know, so basically you're adapting that book. But, but with a different don't title. call Moonraker different title. Yeah, name the rocket something else, whatever. Yep. And I think that would be no one would know any different. It's the same as like Thunderball and the unofficial never say never again. It's right. basically mm -hmm. the same story. Yep. But right. they're different enough, you know, and enough time between them. And I don't know. Maybe that may I'd be more okay with that than like, here's the name of it. We're just straight up. You know, because then it gets confusing too. Are you? Well, what if they? You're what if almost they remake then? What if they remake then? Live and let die, but they call it something different. I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe. But you know, if you're more authentic to the book, then you're taking scenes from uh, Timothy Dalton's *License to Kill* as well. I know. So now That's you're pulling assets from two films. To mm -hmm. I don't know. That's getting messy, but I like I like whenever we can pull from the source material doing it, doing so mm -hmm. I like that. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. OK, so does your. Stance on. Oh, yeah, I wanted to address, Andrew, your point, too, about talking about Nolan doing this stuff. Um, I one, I don't think that's going to I don't think that's going to happen now. Um, it sounded like okay. talks maybe are not, are not working there. Um, Barbara well. Broccoli kind of came out and sort of said mm -hmm. like, they've always made bond in the modern time. They've always done that. Sure. So this would be a big change. And I think they see that this is just my guess. They see that as an asset for why their films have always succeeded is their bond is kind of a constant and what he does, but the world around him changes. And so people can sure. always relate to the movies because they're set in the time in which they come out. And I think they see that as part of the success of the films. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I can't say that I wouldn't love to see Nolan do a few films as period pieces. I would like that. But I do understand them thinking like, hey, our bread and butter and the thing that's kept this going for like 60 years in movie form has been not that. It's mm -hmm. been to st stay current. Yeah, I am. Um, I, I totally get that point. I, I like I really do. And I think it's a valid one. It's just they've sort of painted themselves in a corner, actually, in in the sense of like the Craig era where um, they've been like, you know, there aren't a lot of shadows to hide in anymore. Like are is what we're doing becoming obsolete? Like, can this organization move forward the way it used to? Be like you know we're having like public accountability now so it's it's a very weird scenario in which like the craig era has been like 
can we be what we are? And they're sort of like self-questioning. So it would be interesting to see how they're taking James forward when they've already like questioned their own. It's a very like meta questioning of their own existence. And in a way questioning, like can the films move forward with James being in the times and doing what he's supposed to be doing as a spy. Um, So if they can answer that, I think that that's great. And that's a way to still go. But, you know, taking James back in time would be a way to sort of, I guess, skirt that question. I don't, I don't know. Or like address it in a different way, just to be like, I don't know if we can do it in the modern era, but we can do it back here where James, you know, is originally set. So I don't know if it's a cop out or not, or if it's just like a side story, a deviation, a throwback. I don't know. It, yeah. I mean, I know a lot of fans want to, well, uh, first Corey Barton said in the chat says, I would be interested to see Nolan do his own new story with bond more than doing some sort of period recreation of, uh, or adaptation of original novel. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I going. And the only reason I think I would be interested in like, sorry, just to address that really quickly, that like period adaptation would just be because I'm so in the books right now where you get that like feel of setting. And I would love to just like bring that back. Like Fleming really has an eye for detail and a way of like describing the setting that I would love mm-hmm. to just get back to. Yeah, it, w- uh, it would be this, the more simple option, allow you to like really make it super feel like James Bond without worrying about going too far in some different direction. I just, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I think they don't know what they want to do either. <laughs> I think yeah. that's why we're getting, you know, and I don't, I don't blame them. Like, do you completely restart? Do you well, I mean, that's what Craig's whole thing was, right? Because, right. you know, Batman Begins came out in 04, and then they hired Craig, and that was, you know, Casino Royale was, you know, kind of dubbed Bond Begins because that was that time, mm-hmm. and it was, you know, mm-hmm. the reboot era of all sorts of different franchises. And yes. um, so can you label it another reboot again? Because they didn't, you know, it wasn't a reboot when Brosnan came on. It was just, here's the new Bond, and the Cold War is over, and here we go. Mm-hmm. And... So yeah, but how are they? they how are they, really they going to market it. that? You know, so because they kept they kept Judy Dench, right? And there's right calls back to the so that's me. It's like this half half exactly. Method. You go all the way, and then you have like just the freedom to do anything, or do you kind of keep those tendrils that like this is still connected in some yep. fashion? That's a big you know, di- difficult call. And mm-hmm. short of you know, kind of the. Sp- Spectra theme that runs through the Connery films and of course Blofeld um, you know no other um, actor's iteration of the character ever had a film that had any tie-in to a previous one right, right? they were all just standalone films mm-hmm. occasionally had a character that showed up in another one but it you know you had your yeah. J.W. Pepper in the first couple more films. You had Jaws that showed up and, you know, and, you know, but J.W. Not quite the same as, 
you know, <laughs> the Craig storyline of you, yeah, you get yeah. into his third, fourth movie, and it's it's still intertwined with events of Casino Royale. You still have Mr. White right. and, you know, all this stuff. And yeah. So, yeah, do you kind of did that now. So, you, you know, do you immediately try to do that again, or do you just try to, you know, write a new blockbuster James Bond film and then see where that goes? I don't, I don't know. Yep. Depends so who you get to direct and who you get to star, I suppose, right? What the... mm-hmm. <laughs> Only the biggest questions, but no big deal. Right? No. no, big, <laughs> no big deal. Um, okay, so I, there's several more questions I get asked, but we should probably move on a little bit here. Um, I do want to bring up the latest James Bond m- news for today. Again, not movie-related, um, but Pierce <laughs> Brosnan... Um, is in trouble for going into a restricted area in Yosemite or Yellowstone National Park. Yep. So this comes via Sky News. Um, you know, they have all those like thermal ponds and stuff mm-hmm. um, in Yellowstone. And I guess he went into an area you're not supposed to be in. And we'll see what happens. I mean, there's a you can face fines and jail time and all that sort of thing. I yeah, think anything I think it's a little fine. It'll slap on the wrist, but yeah, I'm I'm sure he'll just you know yeah pay some money and move on. But yeah, yeah. I'm gonna ride I my did, ass, Martin. <laughs> I did I did love reading the story. Like they were very serious about like the punishments. They were like, yeah, yeah people get people get like jail time for this, and he has to go before a court. And I was like, what? Damn! Mm-hmm. Like. You know, I, I just thought it was going to be like a funny little story. And it was just like, no, no, no. His like court date is like set yeah, right. or whenever. And I was like, oh, what? A little more serious. Yeah. I, I um, my thought was, you know, he's been in Dante's peak. He knows how to handle being around hot, you know, things from the <laughs> center of the earth. He's fine, you know, just uh, let him be. But yeah. Um, oh, Corey says, I imagine it's just like Yellowstone, like the, like the TV show. You know, I, I'm not, I haven't seen that show, so uh, I don't know exactly, but Kevin, Kevin Costner is going to come out and just be like frontier justice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Get off my ranch. Um, okay. And then the other thing before we get into the main topic here is, uh, you found this Andrea, yeah. um, from screen rant. That's just kind of going down a list of each bonds, what they see as their sort of defining moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to run through them really fast. And then if anyone has anything that stand that you can think of that stands out for, any number of the bonds is like, this is the most memorable thing. This is what defined that character. Um, maybe you agree with some of these, then let me know. Um, mm-hmm. So six, Sean Connery, just literally introducing himself in the casino saying bond, James Bond, um, George Lazenby with, with the death of Tracy Bond, Roger Moore um, using his car that turns in his Lotus that turns into a submarine. And like going under and riding back out. Um, Timothy Dalton um, in License to Kill. So in there, he's like old, bloodedly kicking someone like off a cliff, basically. 
um, mm-hmm. using his uh, lighter to mm-hmm. start um, using Felix lighters lighter to start. <laughs> on fire. Yep. So. Well said. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pierce Brosnan for letting uh, his counterpart, former counterpart 006 go off the satellite um, with the, the fun lines uh, for England, James. So it's no, Trevelyan and uh, yeah. And then number one, uh, Daniel Craig being tortured by Hannibal Lecter in the chair. Um, <laughs> so that's their list. Um, Lance, do you have a standout moments, something that really defines um, certain bond for you? Let's see. Well, going through all those is hard to, hard to argue with any of those ones. Um, there is... Um, you know when that when that Craig scene made it in because that was right from the you know right from the book. Um, yeah. I was so pleased when that scene came in, and the chuckles from the you know the laughter from the theater in that scene was just oh, it's left an imprint on my brain. That was that was good. So I I have a hard time arguing with that. But yeah, Bond you know Connery's introduction at the casino table in Doctor No. Just with the cigarette lit, and it's just, yeah, it's kind of the epitome of cool, I think. So that's okay, Andrea. Yeah, I mean, that that scene is just, I can never argue with that. Um, it just gives me chills the way Connery just so casually introduces himself. It's, I just don't know how they got that perfect mix of, you know just like his his centered sense of self and coolness but also just i don't know the, his it, his whole tone and inflection is just perfect so yeah can't argue with that okay yeah um i you know pierce bras really i mean i love goldeneye but it definitely made an impact on me in uh, tomorrow never dies the opening of that of that movie where he's trying mm. to steal the jet and then yes. realizes that you know he realizes that there are like nuclear warheads there or whatever and right. the missiles are already on the way from MI6 uh-huh. and he's like I got to get him out of here or so I thought that opening was really good and I thought that yep. that like Brosden to me really came into bond the to the fullest in that movie in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I think that opening, like he's wearing a really cool kind of jacket. It's a, yeah. a tense moment. He's gunning people down. You know, I think that was, that was a really good moment for him. The Admiral where he would like his bombs delivered. Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. Everybody cheers. That's great. Yep. Yeah. It's very good. I, I, it's, um, yeah. And it's just the start of, um, I think, Brosnan's best portrayal of Bond in that movie and mm-hmm. tons of great stuff to come. Um, yeah, it was, um, I think their, their listing of his moment in GoldenEye is like their reasoning is what sold me on like, that is a really great moment. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the article being like, damn, he was like cool, but cold. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. No, absolutely. And it was it's not a moment was, I would have thought a... of by myself. Sure. And it did a good job. Like, you know, some of these elements, they're showing something personal, like really the uh, Timothy Dalton scene is a personal 
kind of thing. Yeah. And this is a good, another where Bond has something personal at stake here. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a really great culmination too, because I think that fight scene is spectacular just before I, that. So. I always liked, if for Goldeneye, I think it's it's his scene when he meets Jack Wade and, and Jack Wade's just a pain in the ass to him. And he's like, uh, in London, well, what, you know, it, April's a spring month and he gives him a hard time about it. <laughs> I I always like that scene. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it, you know, he's like yeah, another it's, another another Brit with your you know you know stiff ass passwords and your shit, and he goes. Bond's like, no, that's just how we do it. And he slams up against the car. You know, show me the tattoo. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, and there's another actor returning, but like, you know, one of those threads again. So right. you know, he was in um, right. Living, Living Daylights. Daylights. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, I don't know sure about, um, you know, Le Lesnby, obviously not much to pick from. Um, to me, again, the moment where he was coolest was in the all brown get up, throwing the throwing knife, throwing the dagger. And that's probably where it's like, OK, he's cool. He's cool. But see, that's your um, coolest moment. Is that his defining moment? Well, his defining moment might be the kilt. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. That's a, that's a good I distinction. Like, yeah. I like I like this pick because I mean it's it's ties into something that's so unique about this movie where like Bond has a wife. Like yeah. shit. Um. And also, I yeah. mean. You know, just knowing where his background was as a model, not an actor, and to have him be so emotional, it's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was interesting because the first Bond movie I ever saw was For Your Eyes Only. And that movie opens up with him putting flowers right. at her grave. Yep. And I didn't, no context for me at that point. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, okay, I don't know right. what's happening here. So. Similarly, I had see I saw Free Your Eyes Only before I'd ever, you know, watched Under Majesty's Secret Service. So to me, I was like, wait, what? That Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay, well, um, I'll put uh this article in the chat as well, if anyone wants to take a gander. Um, but now we should probably move right on into I had this other thing here, but it's not related, so we'll maybe talk about that. It's a rant for another day. It is a rant for another day. You're right. I don't need to get myself started on this. DC stuff, DC comics, movie stuff or whatever. So another time. I share the meme. I get it. I'm there. But yeah, another time. Okay. So from Russia with love. Um if I'm remembering correctly, it's Connery's second outing mm -hmm. and um, book. I don't remember the book number. What are we on seven or something now? Six? No, it's um, like four or five. I believe five. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So I can't remember how many we've read now at this point, but um, yeah, I've got my, my copy here. This is the one I was able to find for this. I've been having fun finding, um, so Lance, like I, I, I got it as a gift yep. um, from Ashley Moonraker um, from, um, shoot, I'm blanking on their names right now, the Folio Society. And so they have fancy versions of the book. And mm -hmm. Ashley thought this one was supposed to be one of the good ones. So that's what I got. 
And uh, since then, I've been trying to find like used half price books, different things and trying to mm -hmm. get like the oldest copy I can find. Yep. I don't have as old a copy for this one, but yep. uh, I thought it was an interesting cover, though. I will say I don't think the image on here is representative at all of our lead um, no. woman in the book or the film. So, right. But uh yeah, that's my version there. And I think if I'm seeing right, Lance, you have a copy. You put it in the front there uh, from Rush With Love on the GameCube behind you. Is that I do. Uh, and actually, Connery mm -hmm. came back and voiced Bond in that one. Um, and they were he yeah, was supposed to do that. he was supposed to do more. But yeah, he came back and actually, um, yeah, he he is the voice of Bond in that game. And it, of course, you know, they added a lot of new levels to it, but it, it follows, you know, the movie, you know, Pretty, pretty closely as well. So yeah, I was like, well, I'll throw that one out so it uh, can be seen in the background. So <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get into it. We'll see how we want to break this down. Let's just say let's start because our our journey here this year was getting into some of the books. So let's start with um, how we enjoyed the book itself. Um, mm -hmm. Lance, you've read all of them so give us your thoughts on like how how did you well, enjoy i mean you guys have reading. read it more recently than i um but my my recollection is that it was one of my favorite of the fleming novels um i think it was one that i pro one i read more quickly than than the others i feel like so um it just it had that pacing quality that just I want to know what happens next. I want to read the next chapter. I want to see how this unfolds. But at this point, um, I had seen the movie. I wasn't, you know, I didn't know how closely the book was going to follow the movie. Um, and, um, you know, it, it, in this book, he, you know, Bond doesn't appear for, you know, over the first third <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, you know, thankfully the movie doesn't go that way. You get, I don't know, 10-ish, 12 minutes maybe into the movie before you see him. So, you know, they, they, you know, they do a little bit of that. But um, I, some of the notes that I had had from a previous read-through, I, I highlight so much of the detail that Ian Fleming was going through. Um, different things like the Smirsh office and the building mm -hmm. um, early on. Um just his description <laughs> his description of Kleb in the nightgown um oh my God. <laughs> I, I i i had written a note years back and i reread that section and i was yeah i was once again I was like oh man that's just oh that just paints a picture doesn't it um it really does that uh you know there's other books that are, are are so thick and they have so much detail and after a while you get just it's it's exhaustive and you're like okay can we move on once in a while i feel that with with you know a book like this but he he just intersperses it just so quickly enough and mm -hmm. he doesn't seem to dwell on it too much that um you know yeah a lot a lot of what um you know drew me to this book was just you felt i felt like i could just envision every room that these characters were in based off of what how he was writing it um so yeah that's kind of my my initial take and okay 
Um, so yeah, quicker yeah. read for I'll, you. I'll let like you guys go felt in. Like yes. Kind of like powering through it, so that's good. Andrea, did you feel the same sort of urgency to um, keep reading? Yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely an easy book to read. Um, and I read it in several large chunks. I didn't read it all at the same time, but it was, yeah, it was, it was a fun book to get through. Um, and I, I had a hard time a little bit with the unique setup of, you know, part one, part two, um, you know, diving into such the detail of Smirsh and like their operations before we finally get to Bond. But I mean, it's it's something unique, and it was certainly interesting to get into the mind of like the enemy before, and like have that whole setup and why this is going to be the setup, and you know who we're going to get to choose to do it. You know, Fleming dives so deep into physical descriptions because it's such like a classic spy novel where he's setting everything up for you, the reader. That later, when it's like these people are there and they have these like physical descriptor clues and you're supposed to remember like, Oh shit. Like this is that person in disguise. Like he's doing everything for a reason. Everything feels deliberate. So it was really fun to close the book and think about the experience that Fleming set up for his reader that way. So I, I really enjoyed it. I really felt pulled along. I really felt in a spy novel in the classic sense and then, yeah, when we hit the end and that giant cliffhanger, I immediately was like, the, the F, I have to read the next book right now. I have so far resisted temptation, but thank God I just finished the book like two days ago because I'm already like itching to open the cover of Dr. No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't own a copy of it yet, so I can't. Oh, I have whisper. it. I have it. <laughs> <laughs> um, wait. Or did I? I might have ordered that one in advance. Um, yes, Alan. I know I'm not that good. Alan shared a gif of Boris twirling his Boris. pen. Uh. Click, click. Click, click. <laughs> um, okay. Well, good. Yeah, I didn't know what to, what you were going to think of the kind of delayed start, not seeing Bond for a long time, getting to know our sort of enemies and our our love interest and some of that up front. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I was definitely interested. I thought maybe things went on a little too long, but I did like to see, I appreciated that right up front, at least in my copy of the book, my uh, Fleming too. is calling out. Oh, really? That, that like, yeah. I'm naming names essentially. Like I, these are people, real people, some of them that exist within Russian intelligence and in this real place and whatever. So I thought that was a, a neat addition and Mm -hmm. realizing now that like I was completely wrong about this setup. I thought I mentioned a few podcasts ago that Smirsh was simply renamed to Spectre in the movies. Yep. Um, as opposed to, Smirsh being the real Russian organization and Spectre operating outside of that, mm-hmm. making a way for the movies to be like, well, the Russians aren't just the bad guys. This is a larger network of all over yes. the world sort of thing, yeah. you know? So, yes, which I, I just, really like. Just... Like, I get so bored when, I mean, especially we've talked about this with like Marvel movies 
for example, when they're just like, the Germans, the Germans, the Germans are the enemy. And you're just like, my God, okay, I get it. Like, can we Mm -hmm. do something else? Like having Spectre feel larger than just like the Russians is so refreshing to me. Yeah, sure. And in a time when it would have been really easy in in the West to have made Russia the the villain, obviously, Mm -hmm. right? This was Mm -hmm. 62, 63, the height of Khrushchev, like. (laughs) Right. Which, I mean, they are, but they aren't. Right. It certainly yeah, well, gave. I, was... it, I think it gave it more longevity too. Like, yes. you can go rewatch it now, and if it was if it was all about you know the Russians being the main enemy in here, mm-hmm. it it might not play as well today. Maybe, maybe it right. would, but I you know. Yeah, well, it's it's. I do like continually throughout the Bond films having sort of M and MI6's relationship with the head of Russian intelligence then because it's sort of this rivalry thing as opposed to necessarily right you're always the bad guy you sometimes have competing interests obviously and stuff and so that right. comes out in interesting ways but um yeah i um i appreciated the um the description of the armpit hair uh cool <laughs> side of God, the so masseuse <laughs> oh i didn't need that um but so much body hair so Mm -hmm. much body hair Mm -hmm. that was yeah oh god next level yeah overall i i enjoyed the book quite a bit it had a few moments that really um stood out to me very exciting i i think it's maybe my least favorite of what i've read so far though i think i think the only thing that is like making me debate with that and like live and let die is the way they del- they lingered so long on some things in live and let die you know like we've talked about before like just unnecessary detail yeah um you know so sometimes we talked before lance like how he's like showing fleming is showing his knowledge and cert- expertise in some area so mm-hmm. whether that is through um bidding gambling horse races cars sometimes that's really cool and i'm like yeah you know and sometimes it's another language and it's too far and i don't Mm -hmm. appreciate it you know and i felt like they didn't have that in this book so much so i did really like that element of this i I didn't have a moment where i'm yeah there's a moment in in a in a later bond novel that comes to mind immediately when you say that that i'm like on a reread, I just like skipped that chapter basically because I was like, I don't. Sure. <laughs> it's just wholly unnecessary, right? It's like yeah. you could have just, you could have written this in about two paragraphs, and instead of devoting an entire chapter to it, basically. Sure. Yep. <laughs> so. Yep. Um. But yeah. So okay. So that's um. Enjoying the novel the um, the movie. Uh, the movie is definitely considered one of the classics. For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I was pretty hews, happy to. It hews very closely to the novel. Which I did like a lot. I, I thought, mm-hmm. honestly, the movie kind of just took the book and, you know, sped it along as you would need to do and mm-hmm. made improvements. Um, I, I, I felt it was a, like a, a just a tighter thing. Again, the inclusion of Spectre um, having the. Um, um, you know, there's a couple more, I feel there's a couple, well, they introduced gadgets in the book now too. Yes. But, um, so I guess that was good in both, but 
It's pretty understated, though, in this one with just the little traveling briefcase that he had, but it obviously yeah. plays a major role in, in towards the end of the, <laughs> of the film. Right. Yeah. With that train fight. Um, uh, yeah. And, like, yeah, go ahead. I, w- I was just going to say, to yes, to the to the gadget point, the, the traveling case is like our movie equivalent of the book cigarette case, where that obviously plays like a crucial role in in yes. our, our showdown. Um, so I like that they kept it simple, like it didn't need to be the exact same thing, but it was like the same essence of one thing being the thing. Um, but I will say I really enjoyed the movie so speeding along much of the book's exposition except for certain scenes like between Kleb and Tatiana where they mm. literally like lift dialogue out of the book but not dialogue that would be naturally sewn together it's just like here's a line here's a line we're sort of speaking the same language but we're kind of talking around each other that that for me was one of the least believable things and i was really disappointed about it i mean part of that to me that scene read strange because we didn't have the insight into tanya's exactly. mind you know exactly. like exactly the the fear that that's the that was the improvement in the book is the moments of fear that you could really yes. feel in different characters panic the, we, what am i doing right. here what how, why is she interior what is this all about like this scene needed that. And so I wish they either would have just rewritten it or like, you know, added another five minutes to just be like, F we're just going to have to go through how panicked she is. But wouldn't it have been weirder if all of a sudden then Clev leaves the room and comes back in a nighty and, uh, Maybe. I, mean, <laughs> I, I don't think it could have been less weird than like her random touches. And then Tatiana being like, I'm going to be suddenly defiant and her being like, uh, I'm going to shoot you. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was just mm-hmm. so, it was so off kilter. It was really tough. It was really tough coming from the naturalness of like that book scene to this. Yeah. Um, what do you think Lance about like, you know, I suppose it was like you say, it's hard to remember, but there were, especially early on in the movie, quite a few, lines pull i comment on that too like it's odd yeah. or not common anyways at least for me to see adaptations of novels and have so many lines wrecked from the novel yes i this one i think has probably it, it you know maybe it's just because it's the one we're talking about now but i mean maybe dr <laughs> dr no I, I feel like has got some dialogue that you know is lifted right from the novel but i feel like this one's got the most of any one of them that you know, and to your point, you know, you mentioned earlier, Andrew, it, it is very disjointed sometimes because instead of just the way it's written in the novel, it's, oh, here's a couple of these words, then they have another exchange, and then all of a sudden it's another, it, it, and yeah, and I just reread that part just before we came on here, and having, you know, more recently seen the movie, I could picture that scene going in my head as I'm, and then I'm reading this, I'm like, wow, they really did just kind of mash this up a little bit they kept most of it but they really did just kind of reorder it a little bit and i don't know if that maybe messed with you know how we were perceiving tanya to take that situation you know and not getting that that panic across as much because i feel like she tries to in that scene Mm -hmm. and you can kind of you can tell she's maybe uncomfortable 
but yeah, it's more that you don't yeah. you don't you, that's that's kind of where it ends. You don't really get any more than that. I feel like mm-hmm. in in the scene in the movie. So because yeah, it's almost they do too build brief. Mm-hmm. I don't need I don't need like fifteen minutes, but you know maybe I need just like a beat longer. Yeah. Well, and the I mean they do a good job. You know, way later in um, you know like. Uh, Casino Royale and Quantum and stuff of like getting you to understand the how dangerous the larger organization or a specter or something like that is in and so they do a good job in the movie with that and they do a good job in the book as well of doing that too like you know you're not you don't mess you know, they do that in the chess scene it's like come right mm-hmm. away and he's mm-hmm. like I am in trouble because <laughs> I waited three minutes yes. you know before I finished out the chess match. And so those kind of things, plus with Tanya's fear and talking about how, you know, something must be wrong and she's just freaked out. Those things don't come across in any way in the movie. And so um, it is kind of a shame that we're not like led to know like, hey, yeah, you don't mess with this specter like they're they're everywhere and uh, they mean business. Right. You know, yeah. The book spent, you know, a, a third of the novel before we get to bond the movie, you know, spends you know, yeah, 10, 12 minutes, you know, Andrew, you're right. Maybe, maybe just a couple more, but they were eager to get Connery on that screen. No doubt. So. Right. (laughs) Which, which I completely understand. Oh Um, yeah. I mean, they had to condense that, but yeah, maybe, of of course, of course, maybe, maybe just a little something extra. Yeah. Just, just a few moments because I feel like we really get the fear of Spectre. I mean, in the book it's, it's Smirsh, but you know, in the movie, we get the fear of Spectre so late with Kleb and Kronstein facing off, you know, at Blofeld trying to like, you know, put the blame on the other for how everything's gone wrong. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's too late for me to feel that fear. I need it early. So I mm-hmm. understand like all these character motivations and I get it a little bit more why we're like setting up this plot for Bond, even though it's like still adapted from the book that was okay for me. It just needed like the, the reach, the power, the fear. Yeah. Uh, imagining Cleb walking down the hallway and everybody silences as she's like coming back blood splattered. Cause she was just yes. torturing someone, you know, like yes. those kinds of things. Yeah. I, I needed that there, you know, to Tatiana, Tanya, whichever way you want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and her interaction was just a little bit too easy she was a little bit too easily defiant um, sure. in club's yep. presence for me to just feel like she feels like she has to do this. Yep. But that kind of goes, fits on par with what we see in most of the Bond movies early on. It's like it is going for a, a lighter tone. And so some of that seriousness, um, you know, I, I was struck by when Bond is in Istanbul. In the book, mm-hmm. that's a very tense time like you know he's not sure who was all around you know he meets a very interesting character of karim but he's now like um you know you feel his you feel his impatience Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. you feel his uncertainty with it you feel his like am i doing the wrong thing here am i just being fooled but we got to play it out Mm -hmm. and see um and in the movie it's sort of just casual it's like oh we're just you know we're gonna We'll stroll down here. It's fine. It just all feels a lot more breezy 
And it kind of, it, it works to sell into that vibe that the movies made with Connery with just being cool, always in fancy places and he can just mm-hmm. handle the situation in the books. It just feels a lot more, you know, he's just more uncertain and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I guess, I guess I hadn't considered it from that, you know, angle. Um, even though like when, even when I was watching the movie, I was like, oh, there's just like such classic like Bond things happening here. Like, you know, in the books, Bond is described as like a cage tiger. Like he's just waiting around from his last mission. Like he needs yeah. something to happen. Whereas like movie Bond is like, I'm out in the park. Like I'm supposed to be rowing a boat, but instead of having sex with a woman, like. You know, yeah. there's just such like yeah. classic Bondy casual things happening. So yeah, I I think I get your point. I just um I just needed maybe I mean maybe even like fear isn't the setup I needed. I just needed more background. I needed a smoother conversation between Tatiana and Kleb. Um, a little less like cherry picking, like this is the exact line I'm saying. Oh, I'm cherry picking a line from like two pages after that and putting it as the response where it's not quite matching. So I think mm. there was just like a clunkiness to that scene that affects how I thought of it. So now we have on screen here, Karim, you said you love Karim. Um, uh, what do you think yeah. of the book versus yeah. movie adaptations here? Either or. It's like it's quite different in the movie from yes. the book but the way he looks i mean again they take some lines and stuff yep. you know and he, i love know, them both book. frankly yeah <laughs> the, I, I love that their storylines are the same like you mm-hmm. know they have all their karim's sons is working for him you know he's like got the run he's got the no he's got like the yeah we know what we what the russians do they know what we do we have this like relationship it's so different love it you could and it, Certainly in the movie, I feel like in in the if I'm remembering from from the novel too, the the admiration that Bond has for Karim is just mm-hmm. so evident. Like yes. this is a man who just lives life to the fullest, but mm-hmm. is also just so very sharp. Even though he just seems to be this jovial devil may care type of character, right? That's mm-hmm. um and. You don't really, short of M, you don't see Bond really admire, you know, that admiration coming from that character in the books or the movies, yeah. I feel like. So, yeah, it's a it's a special even even for Felix. I don't feel like that that same admiration is there that it is for this character of Karen Bay. I think it's there for so, M in the books. I think yes, a, yes, absolutely. I would say yes, M. But yeah, short, short of that, I, I don't know. I, I feel like. That there's something, you know, this character definitely, well, in this scene is, you go comparing the books to the movie, just an interesting little note that I'll throw in here. In the book, well, he's, you know, holding that rifle there from the picture we just saw, um, that still, mm-hmm. as he's getting to shoot Kronstein, in the book, it's a, a picture, a billboard of Marilyn Monroe, and in the movie, yeah. it's Anita Ekberg. And, of yep. course, if a person would note when this movie was produced in 1963, it was the same year that Marilyn Monroe was, you know, died. So, 
they were actually in pre-production and planning on having that scene and having it be Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe, but then she died during pre-production, so then they had to come up with a, another international symbol to mm. be the mouth that they shot Kronstein through. So <laughs> That is really cool. Just a little trivia yeah. piece. That's really cool. Thank you, Lance. Yeah. Um, let's see. Some other what differences, similarities. What did you think, John? What's that? I mean, I feel like we all like Karen, but like movie oh. versus John. Sorry, movie versus book, John. Um, well, in the book, I really thought he was quite a character, and I understood best why he was so like I don't know. He, he, sometimes you kind of I thought Ian Fleming did a really good job creating someone that was both a little larger than life and kind of believable too. And mm -hmm. I thought he was a really fun mix of like, this guy is, he is really out there, but he has a, like a really good grip on where he is and what he's doing. And so I, he was a fun character to read. Um, mm -hmm. In the movies, he's fun, but lesser so given I'd read the book. Like I never really thought sure. about it before watching the movie, but like he's an impressive figure, you know, in the book and someone that in a way bonds can, you know, look up to. And I don't feel that come across in the film. Like he's an older gentleman, you know, his sort of powerlifting is in the past and you wouldn't guess it, you know, and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so he just, that was the odd casting for me. Like his energy works, you know, um, I can, I can see where they're coming from yeah. with that kind of energy, but, um, no, I was, physical specimen. I yeah, I was, I don't know who I was. See, everybody wants, um, Henry Cavill to be the next bond. I'd put Henry Cavill as Karim, you know, yeah. it's like taller than bond. Yeah. Bust up his nose a little bit that and physical make him presence, really sort of. Yeah brash you know like yeah mm -hmm. and then that's all the more fearful that it can make your character when he that bond looks up too much so much has so many connections and all this stuff is helping them mm -hmm. along on the train ride he's got everybody paid off then he dies so like yeah. this impressive person that he's like i can be friends with this guy and i can trust him and then he's he's taken out like he should be able to handle himself and right. um this doesn't have the same effect then in the movie. Yeah, I agree that um, his his death was very underwhelming in the movie, and it was so good in the book. It was so impactful, mm -hmm. and it was just yeah. crushing because I loved him so much. And like you said, because in the in the book he felt like such a physical presence mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. it was like, damn. I mean, he he got murdered, but he took his assailant with him. Like he really, and yep. it was like brutal um yeah that he made sure that he was going to you know expend the last of his like great physical prowess to take this guy with him um yeah and it and it makes him you know pre-death a little more interesting that he's such a jovial figure that there's an element of danger in the fact that like he's a physical specimen too and that joviality can give way to this incredible prowess yeah and lance like you said like he has a you know 
you know, is jovial, but then has a, a wisdom to him too, or whatever. It was like an mm-hmm. intelligence and like what, and, and mm-hmm. that again, didn't come across in, in the movie as much to me. You know, he just was the jovial side of it. Uh, Very much so. It, short of maybe their first encounter when he first meets him, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think then he's, you know, he's coming across as this very, you know, well-informed person that he is and, and should be as the head of the, the station there. Um, and then after that, um, yeah, he does kind of seem to maybe not play on that as much. Um, mm-hmm. um You know, I'm trying to think because you're you're right, Andrew. His death just doesn't hit the same in the movie as it does in the book. Um, mm-hmm. And just trying to. I was kind of like, of... I knew it's coming, but didn't expect it. Still, right. Yeah. And you know, looking at the portrayal of the character in the movie, you know, would they have benefited from trying to? You know, would it would it have been just as simply just the right looking actor would you know with that physical presence mm-hmm. would that have made enough of a difference or did they need to you know do something else with that character and and maybe the the actor that did portray Karim you know could have pulled that off just as well if sure you know, I don't know what they might have done but yeah yeah it's a good question um another thing I liked really about the movie though is uh the way that they got the lector. So again, some of the things I'm saying were the improvements to the book is so in the book, it's a lot of like, well, Tanya's I'll take care of it. We sort of don't see it. She shows up with it on the train instead. You know, the, the movies do a good job of often giving bond a little more autonomy. I, I had, I commented on that in the last book we read in uh, diamonds are forever, like bond getting to, show off some prowess and be a little more steering mm-hmm. of the reins at times than sometimes so much on luck. And um, I thought in the movie, they did a good job then of, well, Bond has to figure out how to get the lector. And it's actually a really mm-hmm. good way to, this is when we blow up the Russian area and consulate yeah. and stuff instead of like, oh, Karim dies off screen, we blow up. Uh, because he's now dead or whatever. We detonate that bomb. Mm-hmm. So I just thought it was, uh, you know, a, a, again, for a visual storytelling medium, making us something exciting visual to see as a whole big sequence that we wouldn't have had otherwise. So I agree. Um, I think in the book, it really works to like have them <laughs> blow up the consulate later and, and you feel more like for Kareem. Um, sure. Whereas in the movie, yeah. it's like, you know, this makes a lot more sense. Like you said, there's a little more excitement in getting this. There's a little more agency. We're not just like seeing her show up on the train. Um, and then also, I just have to comment. I love the <laughs> changed for the movie because they already have Spectre as the organization. The Spectre machine is now the Lecter machine. Yes. Oh, <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, it was just, it was very funny. Yep. It just hit me like right away. I was like, well, mm-hmm. I can't have a Spectre who's trying to steal a Spectre machine. Right. Yeah. Little, Isn't it yours already? A little, little too <laughs> right? redundant. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. No, that's true. Um, I, you know, I, again, there's a few more improvements. I think there is an improvement in the movie with um, our end sequence. I actually had a, I, 
I was actually reading the book and kind of tired of another villain explaining the plan. But in the movie, it worked for me a lot. It felt more realistic than it did in the book. And that whole sequence of getting him kind of tricking him to open the case, I also thought was a better way than like quickly trying to shove, you know, hope I get this in the right spot. They sort of proved his accuracy by shooting his wristwatch off. Uh, a lot of that red is too unbelievable for me. When sometimes the book, a lot of times, most of the time, the books are more grounded. The whole sequence seemed uh, more out there than the film. And I actually enjoyed the film version. Oh my gosh. I'm immediately going to have to disagree with you, John. Okay. All right. Yeah. No, I just, I Go thought the it. book, like, it totally. Uh, so maybe not shooting the wristwatch. Maybe that was a little bit much. But I thought like Grant spilling everything in the book was so natural because hmm. he was so eager to show Bond like how they were going to embarrass him. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, you're so hmm. stupid. You haven't put the pieces together. Like we're going to do this to you and you're going to be so embarrassed. Your whole organization is going to be embarrassed. And I just was like feeling all of that reveal Right up until I have in the show notes, like he was like, oh, and then I'm supposed to meet, you know, Cleb at room 204. Yeah, and yes, yes, yes. That was like, exactly. that's, that's so stupid. Like that's wildly unnatural. Um, but everything up until then, when he was like, can you see the headlines? We have film, we have, you know, a letter that we're going to write. It was just, I was so there. Mm -hmm. I was really in it. So I really, I mean, I thought the, the, version of this conversation in the movie worked also, but I really enjoyed the book a lot. What do you think, Lance? I, yeah, I, it's, it's a great scene in the movie. Um, I did quickly reread, uh, that scene, um, today and how he sets that up with him waking up from his nap in the book. And, you know, we talked about not feeling, Tanya's, you know, sense of panic and fear and danger when she's meeting Kleb. Man, when he wakes up from that nap and he just says, "What? what what's that I, I sense? And he's like, it's, it, it's mm. danger. It's danger. Something yeah. is amiss here. And, ooh, it just almost just, it just gets the hairs raising up. It's like, oh man, you could just... Tingles. And you didn't quite feel that from Bond in that scene in the movie, but I love the scene in the movie. I've got no issues with how they did that in, in the movie. Cause, and then the fight scene itself is also just spectacular. Yeah. Is, is, mm -hmm. yeah, is an awesome visual fight scene to watch, but um, yeah, just my initial reaction was, wow, I, I had kind of forgotten that that's, how that scene all started in the book. So when I reread that, and it was just, wow. Like, you know, as you said, Andrew, it just, I was there. It was, <laughs> you could feel Grant's eyes just on you, just piercing and just, ooh. Yeah, that's. So I loved all that stuff leading up to it. The eye stuff for Grant was great. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. like him analyzing like uh, the peak inside with a red, they're burning red, and then it's gone. I loved all that sort of thing. And then Bond slowly recognizing, oh, that's madness. That's madness yes. I see yeah. in this guy's eyes. Like, oh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
I thought that, that was, was just really well written. Yeah, that and him and him like trying to talk out of it. Like, are you by any chance ruled by the moon? And like, yes. is there any you know? It, oh. In that moment, just you know, and as you're reading it, of course, Bond the character is coming up, you know, thinking of these things split secondly in this right. you know situation. You're just, oof. Yeah. I again, uh, though, when it comes down to that scene, uh, prefer the movie in in another aspect where they have. Again, it's giving Bond a little more agency. Bond recognizes that, hey, what did you slip in her drink? He understands like that's I agree with so that. again, he notices yeah. something. And then, you know, he still at that moment though thinks that Grant is one of his, one of their own. And so because right. like, he points a gun at him and then puts it down, it's like, okay, yep. you just like kind of got Tanya out of the way here. But right. um, it was still a moment that where we got to that confrontation in this situation made more sense to me. Whereas in the book, to me, anyways, I, I get if you make the argument he has wants to spill his guts. But to me, he's a paid assassin that enjoys the killing. Mm -hmm. He's not there about embarrassing Bond. Like, does he care about embarrassing Bond? Russia no, but, cares about embarrassing Bond. Right. But he's an agent of Smirsh at that point. Like he's so yeah. like company man that he would just, he would totally just be like, God, we're going to embarrass you. And like Smirsh wants I, me to embarrass you and Britain. But none of Do that will matter I mean? when he's dead. To me, what would happen in the book is the bond would be sleeping. Tanya would be passed out. They go into the tunnel and he would stick his gun up to bond, shoot him and then shoot Tanya in the back of the head never waking them up because he's a professional assassin. He loves doing this. He's going to, and he wants a promotion. He wants yeah. to be recognized, get the job done. It's done. And now, as opposed to like, I, I kind of knock you awake and then, you know, we have this little discussion and I going to, I'm going to give it to you. Right. But you're It doesn't matter because you may be dead in four seconds. Anyways. I see. I don't think so because of the whole book setup where they're just so eager to like deliver the embarrassment. I do feel like they're eager to deliver the embarrassment and have it delivered even to a dead man. They're just so like ready to be like, we got you and you have to know it right before you die because it's satisfying for us to know that you knew it before you mm -hmm. died. So that when Red Grant reports back, that's when we can know like Bond felt that humiliation before mm -hmm. he died. Yeah, that was his last. That's, that's for them. <laughs> yes, that's for them. So that so that's where like I felt it in my I, in my mind where that felt believable again right up until he was like, then I'm going to meet Rosa Cleb and I'm gonna knock like this and she's gonna pay me, you know, whatever. Unless unless um yeah, I would I would want that set up. Like this is part of your directive. Like I, if that happened, I don't remember it. Like you're gonna let him know. You know, you have to get him in the situation sure. where you can tell him how his whole organization, his reputation, everything is going to be embarrassed. The pictures, the video is all going to be released. You know, your six, sex tape is put on TikTok. That's what's happening. Here. And, uh, <laughs> but, but I uh, felt like I felt like it was yeah. implicit for me, knowing how much sure. like we've gone through in those 90 pages of how they wanted to embarrass Bond. Whereas like mm -hmm. the movie, it still worked. It just wasn't like that wasn't my motivation. 
Mm-hmm. I definitely liked Kleb's uh, boot knife boot trick mm-hmm. better in the book. It's mm-hmm. always been a kind of silly scene in the movie. It's her little knife boot shuffle. Um, and in the book, it just made total sense. She's a yeah. pin against the wall. She's going to be caught last minute, kind of stab him. He doesn't see it coming. Yep. I like that mm-hmm. better. Yeah, just the sensation of getting kicked in the calf and he's not even you know aware that yeah. he was stabbed. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. What have we uh, what have we missed? What have, what must be said about uh, the book or movie or comparisons here yet? Um... I mean, the gypsy camp, right? I mean, that's. Uh, oh, God, so good. That's a pretty memorable scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked it in both iterations. I mean, it, yeah. And, you know, in the film, it's. It's it's. Uh... <laughs> when. uh Oh gosh, the, uh, the the gypsy camp leader Vavron gets oh. down. Ever there you go. And uh, from the first time I saw it, it still just always makes me just gives me a chuckle when he when Bond tells him to you know get down and he shoots the guy and I was like thank you. It's just yeah. For whatever reason, <laughs> I just get so amused at that. It just every time it just hits me. Uh, <laughs> but you know the intensity of, of the build up, um, you know of the of the the cat fight, as it were, and then just the mm-hmm. chaos of Spectre yeah, coming in and, and just, yeah. Um, I feel like they did a pretty good job of taking what was a, a well-written, you know, scene in the book and putting that to film. I think that was... Yeah, amp it up it, a little bit. It captured it pretty well, yeah, you know. yeah. Because it, it was pretty, pretty brief, you know, uh, descriptive wise and some page count wise and some of that in the book. And I just felt like it seemed just like the book, but just we got to see a little bit more of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, and, uh, so that was good. I called them cowards for not having uh, the nudity in the cat the fight. Full nudity. You know? Yeah. 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 It's a couple moments. They're just cowardly. But, you know. So, <laughs> so I do want to say I love I love the different versions of this scene because in the books it's very insightful into James like character and his relationship with other people where he's like oh, I'm gonna shoot people and get you know like the Vavra is now in his debt and he's like please resolve this matter between the two girls and he does um, and then yeah. in the movie it's so like. It's it's so movie James where like the resolution Decide is which like, one is better or something right like yeah. take both of them into bed and he's no, like yeah. oh my no, like it's take some it's, time uh it's just the way that they do it in the books is so like books James Bond and then the way they they resolve that scene in the movie is so movie James Bond that I really yep. enjoyed it that I was just mm-hmm. like uh what a great way to do this yep. I agree. So, um, I liked the moment too in the camp there where Bond saves Karim. And again, you're talking about mm-hmm. kind of the way that they think and stuff. And he's like, I'm no use to you. Now, I guess to say in the movie too, but I'm no use to you now. Like, you've saved me too many right. times. Right. Just kind of an interesting way to look at it. Like, we're going to be partners here together. We're each doing our own thing, pulling our weight, kind of like a, like, we're going to, we're two alphas here. And, but yeah. now you've saved me too many times and I can't be looked at the same way. And Bond's, and like, Bond's response in the movie is, I've always loved, 
you know, how can a friend be in debt? Right? Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know. Oh. Yep. Yeah, gives you a little, little shot into, into James Bond. He's like, he's not keeping a ledger on this. He's like, this is just right. part of the profession we signed up to be in, and we've exactly. developed a bond, and, you know, it's probably might be the only time he ever refers to somebody as a friend. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah. it's in it's, the movies. Um, I mean, yes, yeah, maybe, so, maybe a Felix, probably Felix at some Felix. point. I'm probably forgetting, but yeah. you know, Felix the, with Dalton, yeah, he gets eaten up. Yes, mm. yeah. No, it's a, it's a, it's a great relationship that they have, and I really feel like it. It's indicative. It's a throw. It could be a throwaway line, but it's also very indicative of like Bond. Really feels like this could turn the other way at any moment. So just. Don't right, yeah, very it. much so. Yes, I think, yeah, Shu could very easily be on the other foot. So, right, yeah, I definitely got the impression in the book more than the movie that you know, again, it's looking into his mind like, am I being foolish here? In the, in the movie, it didn't feel like this is a foolish operation necessarily, you mm -hmm. know, in the book, it's like, is he really just, you know, thinking? you know, in his pants too much here? Is it just too much the call for excitement? The, you know, the mystery of it? Is this mm -hmm. really, yeah. And the movie, it's like, just feels more like, oh, this is what is supposed, you know, this is the mission. This is going to happen because, right. I don't know. We're is just it play feel it out. different to you guys? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it did feel different, but again, it's, it's, movie james and book james it's yeah you know. mm -hmm. yeah this shot right here actually reminds me of a scene i have to i the screenshots in here somewhere but i have to i thought it was the funniest moment in the movie was definitely um bond is recording yeah. her interview oh, with tanya and then <laughs> m and everybody's favorite. listening in yep. and then he's pauses it when uh once yeah, with, it was with them in Tokyo. Uh, we had an interesting yeah. <laughs> experience. <laughs> that was great. I don't know. Yes, great. that's yes. That's my, my, wife will, my wife will frequently say, Dushka, tell me the truth. <laughs> right from that scene. <laughs> that's so great. Uh, yep. I could totally see Ali doing that. Yep. Yep. Dushka, <laughs> tell me the truth. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh. it's, yeah, no, that's such. Um, that's such perfect tie-ins for movie James where, you know, they're saying something awkward and like, you know, the group is listening in or like money penny is just like giggling, like listening to his exploits, you know, it's, it's perfect. Just enough of a lighthearted touch, right? It's, yes. yep. it's not too much, but yeah, it hits just right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. Um, okay. We are uh, just past the two hour mark. I, uh, on, irresponsibly didn't ask you lance up front if you had a like a time you had to leave but uh, usually we, usually we try to keep it under two hours i, I asked um, andrea about how long and she said sometimes it'll go two hours and i i i had time so no it was great okay <laughs> all right all right um well anything else any other big scenes we missed or you know things we have to you know how do we how are we can look back at um you know I, to me from russia with love is connery's best movie like it's Ooh. from a critical perspective, I would agree oh. with you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I think it is the, I mean, it is cold war spy. Just 
the essence of yeah. it, I think. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of, you know, the consensus is always, oh, Goldfinger is the blueprint, and I can, I hear that argument, but for me, yeah, From Russia With Love is just the high point of Connery Bond, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, I... I uh, I agree, Goldeneye or Goldfinger, Andrea. I know you have a soft spot for Goldfinger for sure, um, but it's also kind of the birth of where I think Bond starts going too far. And I, mm-hmm. I, I get it in the the comedy in Roger Moore's era, um, but I didn't think I didn't think Connery needed to go there. And so, like, basically, Austin Powers took Goldfinger and just did that. You know, in a a way, like uh, so many of the gags and the things, and I enjoy it, but it was the beginning of, you know, this was the last really, really serious bond until Timothy Dalton and and Living Daylights, Mm -hmm. like that was really adhering more to the Fleming, you know, the, you know, the literary bond, as it were, Mm -hmm. than kind of what was what they had evolved to be the movie movie bond, bond. you know, Mm -hmm. You're yeah, yep. you're spot yeah, right on there, John. Is yeah, this was kind of the last of that before they Timothy Dalton read the novels and said, I'm gonna try and play this character more to how it was originally yeah. written. They kind of yeah. yep, they did go off because you know, Goldfinger was such a success. Why wouldn't you <laughs> the, right. Right. in the business That's of making awesome. money? So you can't fault them for that. So but yeah. Yeah. Um No, it's I mean it, I totally get it. Is, yeah. No, I I like Goldfinger is so it's so up and down because there are just such like amazing moments. And then there are moments where you're just like, Oh my God. Like the gag is, is pushing this envelope for sure. Like Goldfinger. I mean, the classic scene, you know, do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Mm -hmm. Bond, I expect you to die. That is terrifying for a man in Bond's position. It's like, so you're yep. saying I have nothing? No to way. Give you. You just, yep. <laughs> no, I just I just want you to die. That's literally it. Yep. There's nothing else. Like, yeah. So there are just like wonderful moments, and then there, you know, odd job is obviously a big, like, oof. Mm-hmm. Like it, they're I mean, a hard thing to follow. We can be thankful for these because they've created cultural moments and icons and things. Right. Like it's it's fun. I'm I, you know, but. I don't know. I I will I will say I think there's a one standout in between before we got to Dalton with uh, Roger Moore, and it's my favorite of Roger Moore. And I think barring a few scenes for your eyes only, I, I had a feeling that was what you were going to say. Yeah. Yes, it is yeah. very much so. It came off the silliness of Moonraker, and it was very much a <laughs> we got a ground bond a little bit Ooh, here. We kind of yeah. it got off the rails a little bit. Um, oh my gosh! Yes. Speaking of Moonraker, right, right there. I just got this. Um, got here? I'm subscribed to a Bond magazine, and this is the new special that just came out with the latest subscription. So it's a little larger thing. It really is talking about like kind of the science of it and the fiction of it and the comparisons That's really cool. Interesting. between the two and stuff. Cool. So though I didn't love the movie very much, and I really like the book, it's still mm-hmm. pretty interesting. Um, to hear more about the making of and such. Yes. All right. Very, very last, very last thing. Uh, Daniela Bianchi as our Bond girl. 
Mm. Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. Where where are we at? Thumbs up. Thumbs up for me. Yeah, I'll give her a thumbs up. <laughs> what what has it? What's the hesitation? What what you know? Um, it's high standards to live up to. It is, and I mean, like, you know, we alluded to that at, at that time they were very much more going for people who had a look than for anybody who had any acting chops. And she similarly was a beauty queen who had not acted before, and mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe that's why in like a scene with Cleb, we just aren't getting those facial cues from somebody that maybe with a little bit more acting chops could have given sure. us a little bit more something. Um, sure, but yeah. You know, I she's she's still really good, so I I, I can't complain about Dan, Daniela Bianchi. So I think she I think it all matches the tone of the film. You know, like it's if the film is just more fun than the books. You know, it is moving in. You know, and just it's so I don't know. I guess it makes me not as critical there. You know, sure. Um, well, and sure. that scene with them on the boat and that whole recording thing. I mean, she plays. She's yeah, that was great fun. in that scene. I mean, she is great in that scene. Yeah. And mm-hmm. even even when she they first get introduced in in the honeymoon suite, I feel like as that's their first interaction, their their you know their first character interactions with each other. Um, mm-hmm. I think she played played that scene also very well. Mm-hmm. So, but did she I... have quote? Proud breasts and the incidentally <laughs> lilting behind the assertion of a body that knows what it can be for. Hmm. Did she? Did she yes. have that? <laughs> that? That book description was like, boy, we're really going to get you, into you, it. You, you get a sense that Ian Fleming might have been looking at a specific picture of a woman at that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm just going to describe her right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, as far as as far as movie movie Tatiana, I liked her by the end, but I was very unsure at her initial introduction, both okay. in the her initial scenes and because she's very clearly a blonde. Where the book is like mm. brunette, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. it had very very specific physical descriptions, so it was hard for me in the introductory scene to just be like, sure. okay. Yep. But I liked her by the end. Really I agree with you, Lance. Like the boat that, ride. Yep. Yeah. No, the boat ride with like the whole film and stuff and Connery's little, you know, wave bye bye. That was very fun at the end. And he's wearing the bowler <laughs> too, Bond is, and that's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's a good look yep. for him. Yeah. <laughs> um Yeah. They got rid of the hats, got rid of all the fedoras. Stuff. Yep. Um okay. Well, Lance, thank you very much for coming on to talk about Bond. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to chat Bond with you guys. This is fun. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about Bond quite a bit on here, and it can always go on and on and on and on. You know, it's to reiterate our points or whatever on favorite Bonds never never gets tired. Right, well, in between books and the movies, there's a lot of things a person can discuss. So, Mm -hmm. yep. Well, we're going to have to talk, Andrea, or we, if we're if we're continuing on, if we're like, because, you know, again, the idea was we're covering anniversary, you know, books and stuff that are celebrating anniversaries, movies and whatever. And uh, yes, 
This next year, we have two anniversaries, I think, as opposed to three. I can't recall yes. what they are, though. Oh, I texted um, Lance what they are. For 2024, yeah, Goldfinger yes. and the man with oh, the golden gun. Yep. Yes, we have to. Two very okay. interesting ones to uh, to dissect, yes. Yes, very different ones. Okay, well, that means... Um, I don't, I don't know the, I don't know the order of the books. You know, I always had to look it up. So I don't know how far we off are off from those. Goldfinger is um, coming up. I, it's, I don't I have, say my, Dr. No, I don't, I don't have my collection in front of me, but I, I think it, Goldfinger might be after Dr. No. Okay. I, I, I think. Man with a Golden Gun is towards the end. That's one of the last ones I think yeah. that Fleming wrote. That's yeah. Okay. But, but Goldfinger, as far as, yeah chronologically in the books here you're just about there so okay well andrea to let us know um you know let's talk about it if you want to if you want to keep going you know um anyone that's watching watches this later whatever you know let us uh let us know if you're enjoying this series at all and um be a good excuse for lance to keep brushing up on the books that maybe hey. haven't read in a long time to <laughs> Um, okay, so podcast on the rocks. Yeah, today we streamed on X, YouTube, and Twitch simultaneously. So make sure anywhere you want, go to go ahead and follow us there. Corey Barton was in the chat for quite a while on YouTube chat. Appreciate him jumping in and contributing. Corey. Corey Barton is uh, a comic book creator and uh, a phenomenal, um, phenomenal one at that. He has a book called Kozor which I've read and is really good. Uh, I don't know if it's currently still available or anything like that, but he's going to be coming out with a new book called Andromedoids um, probably this this next year. So keep an eye out for that. Um, Killing the Flower wrote our theme song. Make sure you check them out. They're on music streaming services. Um, Track Mouse 34. That's our friend Mike from the Anime Podcast. You can find him on YouTube he and Instagram. He uh, he's just does racing videos and stuff. So he's driving his race car around all across the country. So that's a lot of fun to watch. And then MJ Honeybee. Um, we've streamed some with her. She's uh, our friend MJ. She does um, Dead by Daylight streams on Twitch. So make sure you give her a check, a look as well. Um, she's on like three times a week. So that's basically my promotions. Lance, do you have anything to promote? Not right now. If uh, I'm fortunate <laughs> enough to be on here next time, I'll uh, have something prepared, I guess. Okay. All right. <laughs> but appreciate um, it. Thank you very much. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, um, it's great having you here. And um, Andrea, it's great having you here as always. We'll, we'll see everybody next time. Sounds good. Cheers, everybody. <laughs>